inside the recording studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How you doing today, Chris? I'm good. I that was a very energetic intro. Oh, I had to bring up the energy energy a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm impressed. I'm I'm pumped now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, too. Yeah. I've been just going, I want to say balls deep. We are considered a explicit podcast because we swear here and there. So I'm going to say I've been balls deep this week in all kinds of video and ADR and just stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. ADR, assu- whole and, different ball game right there. Yeah, and none of that has been of a sexual nature, I'm sure. No, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but just deep in it. Yeah, just deep in it. Just deep yeah. in it. Yes. So well, uh, this is kind of like a nice break from that reality at the moment to do our little <laughs> thing where we spew about something in terms of recording, and then hopefully other people will listen. So all you out there listening right now, thank you very much. Yes, yes. And as we always like to preface, there will probably be some nonsense discussed as well. So Yes, plenty of that. Plenty of nonsense. Well, maybe not plenty, but at least sprinkled in here and there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So today we're talking about big things. That's part of the reason why I did that big intro. We're talking about big stuff. And that big stuff that we're talking about today is what is Chris Hellstrom's biggest, big, 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 biggest recording lesson Less sun, not less sons, lesson that you've ever learned. Chris Hellstrom's biggest recording lesson learned. Ooh, that is a big weighty question. Isn't yes. It? I want to throw uh, the entire world right on your shoulders right now. Do thanks. It. I'll, I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> it could be, could be a few things, actually. It could be. It's only supposed to be. I, I'm, I will. I'm just picking one, but I could go with things like don't be afraid of EQ and Mm -hmm. and make sure you gain stage attracts and all this kind of stuff. But I think the biggest lesson I've learned um, was to not mix as I go along. And let me explain that a little bit. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Um, (laughs) What I used to do, and I think this is quite common actually, but you start sort of mixing during the creation process while you're actually writing and doing things. And you think, oh, that would sound really good if I do a pan on this. And all of a sudden you're sitting there with like an eight bar chunk of music that's got all sorts of automation and stuff going on and you lose track. And then with the time you get to sit down and actually mix it, you have this massive patchwork of of music that becomes very unmanageable and you know it 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 becomes a very um process of kind of like replacing band-aids with something more substantial and you're undoing a lot of stuff and it's very easy to lose track so um you know what i would liken that to what's that the Initial phase of a relationship where you are just Twitter pated in love. Yes. And I would liken it to that initial phase of meeting somebody new that you're really into. But in this case, it's the fact that you are taking audio recording into your own hands 
And yeah. you get this little bit of an idea and you go, oh, it would be so cool, as you say, to pan or do this or do something like that. And you spend so much time doing it as you were going that you lose sight of the fact that there's a relationship here. Yeah. And it's not just about being the the initial phase. It's got to go somewhere. Yeah. that's what, That just kind of jumped into my mind. Sorry. Yeah, no, it, I think it's a pretty good analogy. And uh, but it is that and you 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 start getting all these ideas for this little slab of music that you just created, right? And another this will actually go a little bit deeper than just the mixing and, and engineering part of it. But when you're sitting and doing that during the creation process, the writing process, mm -hmm. it also puts that to a screeching halt a lot of times because you sit there and you go, oh, I got this great verse and I got this chord. And then you go, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I add like a delay to that? Ooh, oh, oh, I know the reverb's just going to be off in the left speaker. And then you start <laughs> developing this chunk of music, right? And... Now you got an eight bar verse or a 16 bar verse, whatever. And then you go, okay, what's going to happen next? Okay, we need some kind of chorus. Now, anything that you come up with is going to sound flat against what you just did because you spent like the better part of, you know, a couple of hours perhaps just developing that part. And it's too early. So then you go, oh, everything sucks. And now you end up with a hard drive full of 16 bar ideas. Right? So <laughs> the, the, the resistance of mixing as you go along and try to develop those ideas, I think, was one of the biggest sort of like lessons I had to learn and be slapped over the head with. It's like, so don't it was do like that aha dummy. moment kind of thing. I, I think, it, yeah, it was an aha moment, but it was also one of those where I think you're constantly getting hit over the head with it, that you're not ending stuff. And <laughs> why is it so hard to mix this track? It's because, it, well, you know, you have all this crap going on already and you, you lose sight of that. So it right. becomes mixing and fixing and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So yeah. to kind of delve into this, can you describe yeah. the process that you go through now where you're not doing this? Yeah. So... What I try to do now, um, in a perfect world, um, when you're even it's you know it could be something that I'm just doing or or a co-write with somebody, mm -hmm. um, you're exchanging your ideas for the song and you you have this and you have it laid out and you have sure you you might have well um, the guitar is not going to be this loud just to kind of get a vibe for it but you're not married to anything, so as we've talked about in prepping to mix it's something that. I like to do now by, okay, now we got the song, everything is done. And instead of having to deal with all these automation moves or effect sense or anything that might be present already in the writing stage, you can kind of get rid of all that. You have more of a blank slate to deal with. And blank slate for the mixing you're saying. For the mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the song is already tracked. The, the song is already tracked, but, but you can now step back a little bit and be more, objective to it you're not in there as deep and you you kind of have uh, at least i do a different mindset of what it is and and uh, as we talked about in the episode of layering we talked about guitars but it could be anything right? layering when you realize you get to the mixing stage that well that part that i thought was really cool while we we're writing it just doesn't work it doesn't have the impact so um so instead of having spent four hours trying to automate that stutter edit that's going into <laughs> to the, the to the pre-chorus or whatever um 
oh, it turns out that's not going to be there. So, you know, you're better off just moving along and now having a clean sort of like track per track count when you're going to start to mix. And, and uh, you don't have to worry about fixing mistakes or errant automation rides that you might have done in the past. And just it's just easier that way. So essentially your process is, is you write the darn song, you track the darn thing, and then you say, okay, I'm done with all that. It's time to start mixing it. Yeah. And then before I even start mixing, it's the, uh, you know, the cleanup process mm -hmm. where it's, um, you know, getting rid of little noise. It could be string noise before a take. It could be a vocalist going right before they do the next line, <laughs> that type of thing. Um, it could be any timing discrepancies that might be, need to be adjusted, mm -hmm. um, tuning of vocals and things like that, perhaps. Um, any any of those things get done before I now sit down and mix. So that's, and one thing that, that happens a lot with, or used to happen a lot, and you can still happen, but when you get vocals file, vocal files, especially mm. from people. Yes. Um, and how they, you know, you, you import and they sound fine, right? But once you start getting a little compression on them or something, you notice that, ooh, that room is really present there in between the takes. And so you have to go in and clean up all that kind of stuff before you get there. So you're not fixing mistakes. Or, or fixing audio during the mixing stage. Right. And I think that that's that's a big part right there. I think gotcha. you have, yeah. So what is it, what's, what's the why? How, how did you suddenly come to this conclusion of like, this is why I need to do this? Um, I think it was just the realization that, you know, I caught myself having to fix all the, these little things that, I thought I had done before, mm. right? And I found, okay, well, it's like I'm finding myself undoing a lot of uh, automation or anything like that. And and I think it was for me, it was kind of like an underlying um, sense of not having control of the mix or the song anymore with all that stuff present. Mm. So, so is, it, is it would it be fair to say it's almost like having multiple personality disorder to deal with? Because um, <laughs> each not, section might have its own personality with how you mixed it at the time you recorded it. Um, there's that, but I also think um, over time it was just it was just one of those experience things that I had to go through. Mm. You know, because when you're sitting there creating and you have all these amazing tools at your fingertips, it's um, it's very seductive to try to make it sound as cool and and it, it do all these ideas that you have at the time. Right, right, and, right, and try to explore that, but um, ultimately, I found that it, it for me at least, it became a very ineffective way of of working. Ineffective is it? Are more ineffective, as in like production wise, or, in or ineffective time wise? Uh, time wise, or or both, really. Yeah. Even I mean, because production wise, you you know, you have all these ideas, but instead of making a note of it, or it could be one of those things also where uh, let's say that you have a very distinct idea for it could be a rise going into a different section or something like that. Um, and you have that done with automation at the writing stage or the creation set. Well, then just print that. 
So now you don't have that. Now you just have that riser or whatever happens to be. So you're committing to that. And that's one more thing that you don't have to worry about later on. Hint, hint. We've actually talked about committing to sounds in previous yeah. episodes, if you've not heard that. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's, uh, you know, a recurring theme, right? It but can I think, be, yes. uh, yeah, but in the workflow where it's like, okay, well, we got that. We got to fix that. We got to do this and, and just, just committing to that. So, right. For me, I think it was, um, it was just, I find myself that this is not a very effective way of working for me anymore. And it's, I'm not getting the results that I want. And it becomes this, this patchwork because, um, I think it started happening for me when, let's say an example where I might've recorded somebody's drums, Uh right? And you, you try to get a feel, or I try to get a feel what, what they're going to sound like you know, with processing it and cleaning up things in the audio files that, that shouldn't have been there. And I would end up with like, oh, this is a pretty cool sounding drum kit. I got that. That That's kind of cool. That, let's do that. And then you go in and you track the next batch of whatever happens to be, right? Mm-hmm. But then when you get to the mixing stage, you realize, well, that snare that I thought sounded really, really good, it doesn't anymore. It doesn't work <laughs> because it's now in a different context, right? right, right. So, um I, I try to leave as much of that um, until I'm ready to mix at this point. So, gotcha. Yeah. Well, my next question is going to be about the benefits of working in this. But before we get there, we need to have the benefits of a word from our sponsor. Okay. So, the benefits of doing it this way, what have you determined they are? Um, just better mixes. For me, I think I get a better overview of what the song is. I have uh, a different mindset when I mix now because I know I don't have to fix things. Mm-hmm. You know, I've already taken care of that. Um, I am starting with, from a mix point of view, a cleaner slate. So it's like, and I, I can work faster. And um, you would probably back me up on this, but. Anytime that you can do a mix quicker, you, you, you lose the objectivity a lot less, right? So you, you can get bogged down with, so, ooh, that, again, I mentioned that snare, right? Let's listen to that <laughs> snare. And now you're sitting and listening to a snare for an hour and a half, right? right. And now everything else, like you, you're not noticing that there's a squeak in the guitar part right before the pre-chorus or, or any of that because you just focused on that snare fill or whatever happens to be. So, um, yeah, I can back that up. You don't want to get too, uh, consumed. Right. With one individual thing. Generally speaking, sometimes you need to be a little consumed, but not to the point of neuroticism. Sure. Yeah. And, um, so I think that's the, the biggest, uh, benefit of that, that I can work faster. Uh, I don't have to undo things. And even going back before even mixing, right, is during the creation process. You actually move forward, keep writing. I, I tell people all the time when they ask, um, how how do I, I have a hard time writing something and I get this chunk of music and I can't go on. And it's like, yeah, well, join the club, right? But you have to write faster. You have to keep writing when you have an idea. And um, if I'm slowing down, trying to pre-mix, if you will, and try to see how well something works, sure, uh, it just hinders that process. So, so 
keep writing faster and just let it out and then tweak it later. You know, that reminds me of a film that goes by the title Finding Forrester. Yeah. Have you ever seen that movie? I have, yes. You have. So it's starring Sean Connery and uh, young... Forrest Whitaker, yeah. No, it's not Forrest Whitaker. It is a young black man. I don't know his name off the top of my head. I should because I actually own a copy of the film. Um, but it turns out that Sean Connery's character is some wise old soul who wrote some famous novel. And the young kid who is doing very well as a writer as you know, in high school befriends him. Yes. And there's a scene where they talk about writing and the process mm -hmm. of writing. And while this is not exact, I mean, it's, it's kind of in line with what you're talking about because you don't want to mix as you go. He talks about writing a first draft by just letting it all out, writing it. Yeah. And then he right. goes, that's your first draft. You just do it. And in the scene where they're doing it, he's sitting there explaining it to the kid as he's sitting there just typing and typing and typing and typing away. <laughs> and the kid's kind of like trying to figure out what he's even going to write. And, right. and Sean Connery at the end of the scene whoop, pulls out like this story that he just wrote and hands it off to the kid saying, there's your first draft. And he goes, that's where you start. You do your first draft. And then it goes through the process of rewriting or doing whatever before you get on to the point of, in music, mixing. So right. you start with the writing process and then you switch to the mixing process is essentially what you're talking about and how the benefits of that work. So to transition from that, do you find that there are any drawbacks to that method of writing first, mixing second, and not mixing as you're writing? Um, to play devil's advocate, I suppose the, uh, the only drawback could be that you may sort of like lose track of the initial idea that you may have had, like when you're creating a part I mean, you might go like, well, um, oh, I, I, I remember I was going to do something really cool with this part, but I don't remember what it was now. That's probably uh, a good point for having a pen and paper or a pencil and paper yeah. or just some notes on your computer. Just, like, when I do this, I want to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah, add tremolo to note. the second half of the verse or whatever. Yeah, uh, but that would be pretty much the only thing, mm -hmm. I think. Um, it's um, Well, here's a question. Do you think yeah. it's genre-dependent? And the reason why I ask that is having seen the way that Armen van Buren tends to work, mm -hmm. it seems like they are very much drawn into the process of mixing as they go for, um, for the style that he works in, which is primarily, I guess, dance like and EDM. EDM or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not so sure if it's like a style-dependent thing, but probably a personal choice. Sure. You know how, you know... It's hard to argue that it's not working for him, sure. right? Um, so it's not that this would be the way forward for everybody. And and to be perfectly honest, this is something that when um, sometimes when I do production music, uh, the turnaround has to be usually so quick yeah. that that you actually it ends up being just all in one. Um, so sometimes that works, right? But um, no, I, I don't think it's necessarily style dependent. I think it's just your personal choice, what, what gets you the goal sure, uh, quicker, sure. what, what makes it work for you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just curious. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a valid point. And then I think um, 
Yeah, I, I, I can only speak for myself, but I, I'm a big proponent of what I do or I wouldn't be doing it. So. <laughs> Are you sure? Uh, uh, well, right now I am. Like, ask me in a couple of years and I'll go, I can't believe I stopped doing that. You know. Is but, there anything uh, that you can't believe you've stopped doing now when it comes to mixing as you go? Okay, ask me that again. Is there anything currently with the way you're working now compared uh -huh. to when you used to mix as you go? Uh -huh. that you can't believe you stopped doing? No, I don't think so. Okay. That's I, kind of no. a tough question because you're talking about this transition of working as right. no, writing don't. in one section and mixing in another and then saying no. maybe in a couple of years I might think differently. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. I think um, hopefully as we you know, as we develop and we, we do things for uh, a while, we end up refining our workflow. Sure. To what, what works better for us. And uh, that certainly true for me where I adopt certain things and, um, you know, that, that make my process easier and, and discard old things that, that may not have worked. Um, but that doesn't mean that those tricks that it might have been in the past that that you're now discarding that you can't pull those out if it would be appropriate for something so right. um i think that it, it was you know i was thinking about today's episode here a little bit before we started um uh -oh. recording here. yeah i know <laughs> you shouldn't do that um this is supposed but, to be free form free flow come on man no, sure kidding. but but i was reminded of when I first started out with with Logic, um, how? Nah, are you going to blame me for this? <laughs> no, I'm not going to blame you for this. Um, this is completely <laughs> self-inflicted. Okay. But um, you know, I, I was like most people. I, I hope I was thirsting for knowledge and trying to um, anticipate every scenario that might have that happened in my productions when I was creating my my templates my auto load as they're called in, mm -hmm. in in logic right and the um, days of auto load i remember that yeah oh. just called template now right yeah <laughs> well now um, you can have multiples so yeah it's kind of nice. yeah 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 um but i remember you know spending so much time in trying to anticipate that that you're never done working on your damn auto load you know you're always <laughs> trying to like you, you you sit and you work and you refine this uh, workflow that you're supposedly going to have one day that you never get any work done sure because you're just sitting on that oh well, well what if i want to do this i better insert an arpeggiator here and and you know the days of heavy lifting that we used to do in the environment in logic right Oof, where yes, i used to have the environment and this goes back to the days where I, I even used to rewire um, reason into my workflow. And I had these like environment modules for all the synths and I had those patched in it and I never ended up working with the damn thing. Right? <laughs> but it was but, fun to add, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was fun to add and anticipate. And it's like, oh, that's a whole nother day gone by and I didn't write shit. So um, <laughs> it, it's funny how, how those kind of things tend to go from to the wayside but uh sure i guess that's you know a little bit of experience you go like oh, okay well i'm never gonna use this and just being honest enough with yourself <laughs> like you know what probably I, not gonna use this so i can relate to that uh i at one point i had tried to make myself an orchestral auto load yeah thinking I've okay i'm gonna there, be doing man. all this stuff and it was like because you watch guys like 
I don't know if it's necessarily Junkie XL, but it's it's certainly somebody. Uh, these guys that do these giant things, and um, they have these massive things, ma- uh, massive uh, templates that are yeah. pre-designed for their orchestral things. But what I didn't realize is that if they're working on a particular show. Mm-hmm. or a particular thing for a long period of time, that's when they actually create that massive template because they know what the sound is going to be and they need those sounds immediately when they load up. Right. So it's not that you do that prior to ever doing anything. It's you do it once you've determined what the sound of something is and you're going to be doing it over the course of a long period of time. <laughs> right. And you know what works? These are usually my favorite viola samples or whatever i always use this and i always end up using this and this and this sure and to get you going fast yeah it's um yeah so what you're saying is that you never ended up using your orchestral template <laughs> no i dumped it i dumped yeah. it and I, you yeah. know and it was kind of the thought of like trying to pre-mix it as i went and so it was like meh meh yeah so i did i'm with you I, I i agree with your recording lesson don't mix as you go so yeah. yeah. So but the think, next yeah, go, yeah ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna I was gonna ask another question. So say something first. Um, I was just gonna say, uh, as it comes to that though, but when we're talking about learning that lesson of, of trying not to mix as you go, mm-hmm. I think it's it's all part of the. At least it was for me. It was part of that excitement when you when you have all these tools and you you like using them and you want to sort of maximize that idea straight away. That, right? that the like, initial love of a relationship. Yeah. It's like, oh, I got all this stuff. I'm gonna do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, that's also usually the the uh, the part of the learning when you're, you're really gung ho about you know what I like to call like the the, the initially sexy plugins like reverb and delay and stuff and it's on everything and you you need a snorkel when you're mixing you know because it's so <laughs> wet right but um then you you know start you know maturity creeps in a little bit and you get a little bit more excited about compressors and eq you know <laughs> um right yeah so uh yeah. So go ahead. What, uh, well, you've kind of touched on stuff a little bit, but I wanted to find out what exactly inspired you to adopt this method. Was it somebody you talked to, somebody you took a course from, somebody you watched a video for? How did you get started with don't um, mix as you write? I think I don't think it was one particular person. Or, or anything like that. But I think it was um, it, it, more like the, the constant reminders of like of, of watching people work or um, people talking about their work where a um, constant theme that would come up all the time was, let's say that, you know, it was like a, a, a CLA or somebody like that were talking about, well, so when I get this handed to me from my assistants or whatever, like everything is cleaned up and all this kind of stuff, right? And just the 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 the, the thing that they're to really separate the mixing from the tracking that that right. that's a completely different stage. Um, and uh, so I I don't think it was one thing, but I think now that I think about it a little bit more, a little bit more specifically like that, I think. Perhaps the more collaborations that you do and you're not doing everything by yourself, um, you're forced to reevaluate things a little bit because if I'm getting 
a bass track from somebody or I'm getting a drum track from somebody or a vocal track or whatever, something that, that I haven't, I'm not the performer. When we're sitting here, we're performing all the instruments, whether we're programming or doing everything. Um, it, it, it's very tempting to do that, mix as you go along. Mm -hmm. But when you come in and you get tracks from somewhere else, you have to stand back and listen, okay, well, what what's going on with these tracks? How are they going to fit into my, um, into my song or, or into my production? And if you have already sort of like pre-mixed your guitars, well, why would you do that? You get a whole new set of circumstances now. So I think it was one of those things as well, where it was just realizing that there's a better way and more efficient way and more objective way and ultimately a better way of, of doing things. So right. I don't think it was one thing, but I think it was just a, a constant bombardment of things and, you know, <laughs> and ultimately trying to get better at what, what I do, sure. you know, trying to deliver better mixes. So instead of going through, okay, mix one, and then it becomes mix two, and then it goes up to mix 18, right? Then, then you might be in trouble, <laughs> right? But now th those mixes might be hopefully within three revisions. You, you can kind of get closer, they're closer. But so um, that's something that I've noticed anyway, that, yes. that, have, that has helped my, my workflow. Well, that's a good thing. I think so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, ultimately I think it's just the focus on the mixing as you're there when you you're don't it's a clean slate you're not doing it as you're tracking you're not doing anything like that just, just clean that slate and, and uh is there is there one before i say slate again <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, maybe we should just say buy a slate package no yes. just kidding right um, yeah is there one particular recording battle story that you can like relate that would might tie all this up uh ooh. Not on top of my head, no. No. But stumped you on no, that one. Well, no, but you know what? Actually, I'll go I'll go back a few years here and um it was not necessarily a battle story, but but in the sense that it is a learning experience. Um I have a project with a good friend of mine. Uh, in Sweden uh, that we call Sonic Scandal. Um, and my friend David is a singer. He, he is in Sweden. So we, we collaborate online and do the, the, the tracking that way. The first time we did that, um, th there are certain drawbacks of, of working that way uh, because when you're in different time zones, there is more or less a 24 hour lag on feedback when you're doing mm. stuff, right? right. Yep. Um, and doing that, my mixes would start to become a patchwork of things. So I might've gotten a, a vocal from, from David and we we're trying to fit that in. So I was kind of like seeing if that could work in the song or whatever happened to be. But the, the long story short would be that, that I would do a lot of fixes, not to necessarily his vocal, but like, okay, well then my guitar doesn't work like this and do that. And then you're, you're ending up with this slab of just automation. <laughs> that, that it's Yeah. That, that's just, it's a mess. And I remember that, that, um, being one of those, a couple of songs there. Now 
I wasn't as proficient as I feel like I am today. When sure. This was happening. This is going back quite a few years, but, um, it, uh, yeah. When you get up to mix revisions in the, in the teens and stuff like that, <laughs> just because you're constantly adding stuff and it's like, Oh my God, you know, um, the workflow has to change. Sure. You know, so, uh, that would be it. But on the other side, more the positive side of it, of doing the, what I, I try to do now, mm-hmm. it, it's so much easier. It's like, well, okay, well, now you just track everything. Well, here's the scratch track. And then, but it comes time to, to do everything. You make sure everything is nice and tight and you got good recordings of everything. Um, you have the arrangement already cause you kind of heard it in context and then you, clean up the mistakes, fix any kind of EQ things that are, you know, problem solvers in in drum recordings or whatever, print that out. And then, you know, you fixed all the phasing and all that kind of nonsense and, and, uh, you you just move faster and, uh, we do a little bit of work together. So hopefully, hopefully, um, some of the mixes I've done have been better (laughs) over the years, but we're just kind of adopting this. Right. So, um, so no particular battle stories. I think it's just a constant battle until you kind of force yourself to look in the mirror and go like, okay, maybe this is not the best way of doing things and, and try something different. You know? Sure. No, yeah. it's a definite uh, process to get from step one to step four if the four is the final product. So Right. And I think um, when you, at least for me, when you go through these things that you have to, it sinks in a little bit better as opposed to, you know, you have to ultimately make those mistakes as opposed to when, you know, maybe the days of being like the tea or the coffee boy, like in a studio, <laughs> when you're working for somebody and you see their workflow and you see why they do certain things. Right. Uh, when you're not in that situation, when you work in your own project studio uh, or, you know, somebody bedroom studio, whatever, right? You, you're sitting there and you're, you're forced to make all these mistakes and learn from that. So, um yeah, it can be time consuming, but ultimately you find a way that works for you. So. Got it. Anything else you want to add to all this? Um, no, I think um, just if you're tempted to mix as you go, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just let it be. Let, let There's time to fix that. And, and it's it's at the mixing stage. Try to, try to wear a different hat as you're doing that. The writing and the composing is a different part. The mixing is a separate part, and uh, yeah, just try it next time. If you if you have that workflow that you you like to mix as you go along, try to resist the temptation, and just try it. Just do it afterwards. Don't do any of that mixing as you until you have the whole thing, and and uh, I think you might be surprised. Yes, and with that, I guess we're gonna wrap it up with a bow and say sayonara. All right. Thanks, Jody. Thank you, Chris. And for everybody out there and inside the recording studio land, we'll see you actually on Tuesday. If you're watching the two minute Tuesday tips or we'll see you next week. If you are or listen to us next week, we'll be spewing (laughs) next week. All kinds of things. We got stuff coming out on Tuesdays and twice on Fridays. So, yeah, we got lots of stuff. Anyway, see you later.